we have a responsibility to hold ourselves just as accountable as we do the systems and structures that we're trying to dismantle, right? We can't just say like, oh, well, we've arrived because there's always something more to undo, either inside of ourselves, inside of our interpersonal relationships. It's the, the people are the work. And so we have to realize that we are one of those people as well. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast, to another episode of Queerly Overthinking. I'm your host, Adam Harper, and on today's episode, I'm introducing my truly talented and beautiful friend and chosen family, our special guest today, Cass Cooper. Hey, what's up? Thanks oh for gosh. being here. I'm, well, being here, yeah. Thank you for being in my kitchen and recording with me. I oh my it. gosh. <laughs> I'm just glad that this is like a fun environment that we could just have a conversation. I mean, it's taking the environment that we already are comfortable in talking and we're just like, hey, let's have a chat. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm so here for it. A few of the key questions we're going to be kind of not only discussing between the two of us, or like, I guess, overthinking between the two of us, <laughs> as, you know, I, we, we tend to overthink sometimes. Uh, we're we're going to share how we met, and our story, and our journey, and... Uh, you're, yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> I'm making a face, I know. You're making a face, oh my No, God. because it is, it's interesting how we did meet, and how, well, we'll get there, but yeah. anyway, oh keep going, it keep going, sorry. Uh, oh my gosh, and then, um, what is something that is currently important to Cass? I want to know what's on her mind, as this podcast is, you know, my goal for this podcast is to share unique perspectives, and what's important to other people, and to be a platform to share that, so I want to know what's on her mind, and then share a little bit more like funny personal silly sides of ourselves with the listeners and such i'm not at all silly so it's fine oh my god (laughs) um okay so how did we both meet and what's your background and then our journey together so that's kind of like a three-part question so yeah. yeah so we met at a church that we both no longer attend Um, at that point in my life, I was so entrenched in what we would now call like evangelicalism, like churchy church. Like I went through a period where I wasn't going to church and then I was very into church and then I wasn't in a church and then I was very into church. And you met me, um, around the time that I was like in that second iteration of like really trying to negotiate what it meant to be an adult and to have faith and to live that out um, and be connected to people. Um, And I think someone introduced us because I think it was your first time there Mm -hmm. and you had just moved to Dallas and we were standing in the lobby and there was just something about you. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be his friend. Like I knew from like the jump, I was like somewhere in here, we're going to be friends, especially because I remember what it was like to move and not know anybody and not really have community and how long that took for me. And so at that time I was very much like, no, he needs people and I'm going to be his people. And he doesn't know it yet, but, and I was, and I think I was also super fascinated about like you growing up Mormon and I had never met someone who, the only Mormons I knew were the ones that either one knocked on our door when I was growing up or I lived at the time in an apartment of with some folks that um, were on their mission. And so I was like, who are these people? What are they doing? Why are they? And 
And it just was so fascinating to me, someone who grew up in that tradition that was completely different than mine, but then was still searching and seeking um, and trying to understand, like, what is the role of the divine? And, And I think that's ultimately the question that a lot of people are asking. And so I just was like, like, you just had a great vibe, like, you know, little quirky, but also like (laughs) really open to me, like asking you a shit ton of questions. (laughs) I think I, but where are you from? Tell me your story. How did you, who do you know here? Did you go to service yet? Like, are you on your way to service? I'll sit with you. Like all, I, I probably just bulldozed into your life, (laughs) which you're welcome. Oh my God. (laughs) I freaking love that so much. And to give context, that was in, I think late 2019, I want to say, I think. Well, on that note about like meeting you at that church, I'm trying to remember specifically, you were at like this table where it was people connecting Mm -hmm. with different folks. I was actually the lead for Connect Center. So my whole role was to get people connected with each other and Mm -hmm. go up to people and just make conversation and make sure that they um, left with a connection to an actual person. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the thought process is someone comes in, they're greeted at the door, they have this great, hopefully this great experience, they commune with God and then they walk out and they're like, okay, what do I do next? Mm-hmm. And that's where the Connect Center would come in and like talk to them and be a place to like get to know folks and answer questions about church, about faith, about um, how they can get involved, like next steps, make sure they're invited back. So it's really like a funnel kind of like connector. Um, and so in addition to that, like I was leading the team. So I, you know, and still in my jobby job like believe in like leading by example and so some leaders just kind of sit back and be like go do but I really feel like you need to be a person who lives in the way that you talk about people and talk and try to encourage people to do the same as you so um yeah I would be the one like bustling around like tell me more and and then I would get like I was always um big on asking the deep questions like at the very beginning like, let's be as wildly uncomfortable as possible. Like, so are you married? You're not married? Okay, great. Like, oh you know what I mean? Like, just like, okay, cool. Like, what, da, da, da. I think, like, probably on the second or third time we talked, we started talking about, like, sex. It was terrible. <laughs> I was like, who is she? Like, why, why is that anyone's, like, business? But I made it my business. It's fine. Oh We're here God. now. Yes, we are. Indeed. And I mean, um, that kind of pivots into, you know, what is your background? Like, what do you do on a day-to-day basis then? Yeah, so um, I am, I work for a tech company or a tech media company, and I lead the equity and inclusion work there. And it's kind of a crazy way that I ended up there. It was, I mean, talk about like manifestation. I literally mm. in 2020 um, was in a job that I liked, but didn't love. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was getting the things done. Um, I worked for an event company. I did hospitality, but clearly in 2020, no one was going anywhere. No events were happening. Hotels were closed, all of the things. Um, and then, you know, it, you know, 
Florina Castile had um, been killed years earlier, and that really like got me more mm-hmm. entrenched in social justice in general. Mm-hmm. And then um, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, and then George Floyd um, happened all in the same year and or the same really five months. It was like the same like first quarter. Yeah, it was like the first quarter of 2020, which is bananas. But I mean, I'll even take it back to, um, I want to say that was like 2015 or 2016 um, when, uh, um, see, this is so bad. So many black people have been killed by the police. I can't even remember the boy's name. Um, But in Ferguson, Missouri, which is 15 minutes from where I grew up. So, um, uh, that was like such a really hard time because, you know, he lived in like, that could have been me or anybody that I grew up with, right. Had it happened when I lived there. And so, um, that really like changed the way that I thought about social justice in general. So anyway, fast forward to, um, uh, 2020 and, um, my undergraduate degrees in women's and gender studies, which I never really pigeonholed as to exactly how I was going to use. I always have seen myself as a feminist th- thinker and someone who feminism and womanism is very important to. But I think one thing that I never really grasped onto is like, how can I merge my private political thought process and my public jobby job and work into like the same thing? Mm. And so at that point, I, I was sitting on a call right after George Floyd's murder. Everybody had like either seen the tape, experienced the tape in some sort of way. I consciously make an effort not to see that, which is because I don't believe in re-traumatizing myself. Yeah. But, um, you know, so we're sitting on a call and all these people, I'm the only brown face, right? And people are really struggling on like, how to make sense of the suffering that they're experiencing and the things that they're noticing. I think especially for white folks at that time, it's like something that for black and brown people is very seen and very evident Mm -hmm. for the first time because we were stuck in the house and we were, you know, glued to our screens. It was very like hard to wash out the noise. Um, And it was very uh, in our face of this is, Racism is still a huge problem. Police brutality is a huge issue in this country and you cannot unsee this now, right? Mm -hmm. So we're sitting there, nobody knows what to say or how to say it, right? Because it's also still a professional environment and we're on a Zoom call. We're all stuck in our homes. You know, I think one girl was like making like, I don't know, donuts or some sort of thing like on the, you know, everybody was making sourdough at that time. So, (laughs) um, and I just started talking. I just was like, okay, well, if you really want to understand what is going on here, you have to understand the history of policing in America Mm -hmm. and why that's rooted in slavery and what that looks like. And, you know, it's not by accident that certain areas of the country and areas of different cities are over-policed and um, under-funded. Like, this is like a systemic problem and really making and connecting those dots and is at that moment it occurred to me, not everybody has had that education or even has like the, the baseline to understand it. 
And so I just kind of kept talking and then I offered my calendar. I'm like, hey, just put time on my calendar. We all got time during the day if you want to talk through whatever. And I offered, you know, a couple hours here, a couple hours there to have conversations, not necessarily to assuage people's white guilt because I feel like it's okay for white people to sit in that guilt for a little bit, but in order to give you space and have someone to hold space for you that can it can help make sense of the historical context. Mm. And so um, and then I realized that I could do that for a job, right? Like it never occurred to me that like, oh, I could do diversity, equity, inclusion as a job, right? So right. Um, fast forward to, I then got laid off later that year. Somehow the, you know, Instagram algorithm helped me out and I found a master's program that, fit into what I wanted. And I decided that summer that I was like, I'm going to change my career, change everything that I'm doing. I'm going to leave the events industry and I'm going to, uh, work as a diversity, equity and inclusion and belonging person inside of an organization somewhere. So, uh, here we are in 2023 and that's what I do. I've been doing it for about a year. Um, I got my master's degree in inclusive leadership and just kind of jumped all in and, figured it out. Um, and so hopefully this age is well, and in three to five years, I'm leading some sort of global something on equity and inclusion, because I feel like we work so much and there's this whole thought that work and life are supposed to be separate. And that's really not how people live their lives. Not anymore. Right. Like we work in our homes. We, you know, don't have a commute. It's just not the same. And so this idea that we're supposed to have these separate entities is quite frankly ridiculous. Added on top of the way racism, sexism, what Bell Hooks calls the white supremacist capitalist patriarchy operates is through the systems and structures, policies and procedures that organizations have. And if we're going to really make change in the world, yes, we need individual like autonomy and ability to do so. But really it comes down to like, the policies and organizations Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like we can all do our best, but this is not an individual problem. You know, being an anti-racist as a person, one person has impact and it might make you feel better, but really at the end of the day, what's going to make us change is going to be the way that we hire and fire the way that we hold people accountable, the um, healthcare benefits that we give to our people inside of organizations. That's the stuff that has the most impact on people's day-to-day lives. Right. That was a long way to say, <laughs> I work for a tech company and a tech media company and I do equity and inclusion. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, I literally, thank you so much for sharing that because that, you know, just reminds me of 2020 was the year that, you know, like many you know, white Americans uh, had their eyes essentially opened a bit. I will say, like, there's still work that, you know, many of us need to do. But that's, for me, I can speak from my own experience. So that's, like, when I really started to see, like, oh, my God, like, we have an issue that has not been resolved for centuries. Mm -hmm. And I just want to express thanks to you because (laughs) you've been somebody who has been so kind and so gracious in answering like genuine questions that I've had and like helping me break down you know things I've 
been taught and learned throughout my like you know childhood or you know like growing up thinking that this was maybe normal behavior or normal mm -hmm. things to do or say and like I just genuinely appreciate your kindness towards me as I've like deconstructed a lot of that through this like the last couple of years and so I appreciate your desire to be at the forefront of that and to now like blend that within like your main line of work and such yeah. to help other people to build a more inclusive space for not just um, all people of color but like also different communities different minorities um, yeah and I just love that's why I think I love our relationship too is that like I just love the diversity within that and I love the different perspectives that we bring yeah <laughs> I do too I think that's one of the things that's like because one thing that I think about in being your friend honestly is like Am I true? Because I talk a lot about allyship, which I hate that word. We'll talk about that another time. But I talk a lot about like advocacy and what it means to be authentic with people and stuff like that. And then often I'm like, damn it, I am a straight woman and I am messing this up today. Like, <laughs> I did not mean to say that like that. And oh my gosh, and blah, blah, blah. But then at the same time, how can I expect my the white people in my life to lean into being anti-racist if I'm not willing to lean into what it means to have um, straight cis identity. Like, I am very femme-presenting. I mean, I literally went and got a weave today. Like, I'm very <laughs> femme-presenting. And to not be able to unpack and understand and, like, hold space for that um, and recognize that not everyone has that experience is doing myself a, a disservice. Like, it's not... It's it's extremely hypocritical. And I think we have, as DEI practitioners specifically, we have a responsibility to hold ourselves just as accountable as we do the systems and structures that we're trying to dismantle, right? We can't just say, like, oh, well, we've arrived. Because there's always something more to undo, either inside of ourselves, inside of our interpersonal relationships... Um, you know, it is, it's the, the people are the work. Mm -hmm. And so we have to realize that we are one of those people as well. Mm -hmm. And then like, we kind of kept in touch throughout 2019, 2020, and then it wasn't till I think, like, I don't know, late 2021 or beginning of 2022. Mm -hmm. Well, it was when I moved in my house. Right. Cause so that was early 2020. You helped me move, like, into my into this house. Right, right, right. And then, but we, we, we still just kind of, like, texted occasionally. Yeah, you know, we were real casual. social media. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very casual. Um, when did that, yeah, when did that change? Do you well, remember? I remember uh, you, you were so thoughtful and brought over food for me. Thanksgiving! Thanksgiving. <laughs> yes! Because you were by yourself. Or so I thought. <laughs> I thought that Adam was at home by himself on Thanksgiving crying into the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. <laughs> and oh. I packed a bag of Thanksgiving goodies and a whole meal and drove it across town. This man was not by himself. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so we, uh, I don't know. I think 
When was your graduation party, though? Because before that, I think we started talking a little bit more. Yeah. That was that was, that was Christmas, I think. Like, yeah, it was around Christmas time, this time last year. Yeah, so yeah. in 2020. So um, that thanks, but was it Thanksgiving 2020 that I brought you? I did come over for Thanksgiving 2021. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Thanksgiving 2020, I brought you... Man, our relationship is based around food at this point. Do you realize? <laughs> Girl, I'm here for it. Here oh my for God. it, yes. Because I think we went to coffee at that little coffee shop and we had like oh, we whatever. Did. And then... I think we ordered wine though instead of coffee. Probably. Which yes. is funny. That's, okay. That tracks. <laughs> um, and then I brought you over Thanksgiving dinner in 2020. And then 2021, you came and ate at... Um, I made dinner here at the house. So good, by the way. Thank oh you. Um, cooking is my love language. Um, <laughs> and then my graduation party. Yeah. And I think <laughs> shortly after that, I filed for divorce and was like, I need friends. Help me. And then, I, <laughs> and then you were like, I'm here to be your friend. Well, because we went to have drinks and I think appetizers, was it like March or April Probably. of 2022? Yeah. And that's when I think like, I feel like our journeys really then like yeah. blended together yes. since then. So it's just again around food. Like we're always like, let's go get some coffee, let's, let's go get a drink, let's, let's go eat, get some let's food. Let's eat, let's drink, <laughs> let's do the things, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. I will say also like one of the things that I think is super amazing about being Adam's friend is that he will like show up like however you ask. Like you really do. Like, I mean you're like, hey, do you want help with this? Yeah, absolutely. And hey, do you need help with... And you're very open to like showing up in the way that people need, which I think is like super amazing. Everybody should have a friend like that or be a friend like that. I think that would be really great. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, of you're course. So kind. Of course, dog. <laughs> <laughs> I try. I mean, to some degree, I feel like that's something I try to aspire to, to be somebody that people need in their life. But mm-hmm. there's a fine line to walk yeah. with that. Like, I... Boundaries, baby. That, and, like, showing up for people... Like, I think I've shared this before, where it's, like, casting yourself as the hero in someone else's life, even though they never asked you to be there in that role. But then when they and expecting them to return the energy that you're giving them but then when they don't then you resent them even though they like, never asked you to be there in the first place mm-hmm. kind of everything so to some extent <coughs> colonialism <laughs> um because i know i mean seriously that really like i would even say like that's like wrapped up in the white existence unfortunately yes. of like trying to help people that nobody asked you for they were living their lives just fine like mm-hmm. nobody asked you to help and i think that is, I mean, it can be helpful in people that you care about. Sometimes you do have to, with your friends and your family and chosen family, be like, yo, like, you're messing up and I'm going to call you to account and, like, insert yourself in places that they may not have invited you. Mm-hmm. But also, I think that it's recognizing, like, okay, I'm, I'm overextending myself for this person and they did not ask me for this help. Right. Like... Nobody said to show up here. And I think, it, it like, to your point, it is a very fine balance. But I think that it's also, I mean, you can debate me on that, but I think it's also steeped in white supremacy, honestly. That, and I think also just, like, um, things that I've learned in therapy of just, like, learning to, like, not 
push myself to the point of like self-sacrifice mm -hmm. and learning to deconstruct that and you know like I agree with you like you know the whiteness of that but then also like the the thought process of somebody who's always trying to give 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 but then just never takes account for like themselves so like, again like that boundary setting and mm -hmm. such so very much agree with that so what is something that is important to you right now aside from and this it could very well be still like what we've been talking about like social justice and like mm -hmm. uh, the passion behind that but is there something alongside that that is currently at top of mind that you're just that you feel like this is something that other people should be more aware of something that they can apply yeah. in their lives and you know i'm curious um i mean i'm a mom so of course, like the little person is so much a part of the decisions I make, how I move in the world. Um, the example that I want to be in set um, for her is um, really, really important. Um, but I also like working towards true authentic, authentic existence and holding space for myself to be truly who I am is also really important to me right now. I feel like, you know, I'm about to be 41 and I've spent a lot of my life, my adult life, trying to fit into what other folks kind of like expected or wanted and a path that was like very clearly laid out for me, right? Like I grew up very middle class, like very churchy, like black, um, but like not like we very much had a culture in our family of like, we're not those black people, right? Like we're the good black people. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 It's, it's so toxic. It's so like, well, we don't do like that is like quote unquote, like ghetto or that is like low brow or whatever it was mm. a, either. Sometimes it was very clearly spoken, but sometimes it was very like like subtle right I remember like one time I my dad called me this is when I lived in Texas so I, I mean I'm in Texas for almost 20 years right so um he called me and I was getting my hair dyed and he was like well as long as you don't get that ghetto red right like just stuff like that is just so hard to because you want to be accepted by your family but at the same time like the socioeconomic difference that is is ingrained in that like kind of racialized talk is so toxic and hurtful mm -hmm. right and so i'm spending a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to be a black woman in this day and age raising another black girl right like how do i show up authentically myself not highbrow lowbrow into the things that i like like be as nerdy as I want to serious as I want to, but still be silly and fun. Like, what does that look like and how can I set a good example for her? Um, so she knows that there are so many different types of black people in the world and she gets the opportunity to choose what that looks like for her. Right. Um, I think a lot of older millennials or millennials like myself would, who are, of color feels what may feel like, oh, well, I was never black enough for this group, but I was never white enough for this group because I'm not, I was not, and there's, it's hard to find like where your space is. Right. And so right now I'm really like at a place where 
thankfully, I am able to create what I want, right? I, I live where I want. <laughs> I, and, and I recognize that that's wrapped up in the economic and educational privilege that my parents gave me, even though they also gave me this very um, problematic view of blackness, right? And so it's like, how do I make sense of all of that in an authentic way and still live in my body and be comfortable in my body? I love that, like understanding your background and what has been provided for you, but then also how do you respect your past and also like understand how that past came to be yeah. while at the same time like still accepting the options that it gave you and making a life for yourself from that. Cause I think there's a lot of question about like, oh, did you have good choices or did you make good choices or were you like given good choices? Mm. And then like, it still takes work to, you know, either accept those choices, those like those positive things that could influence your life and helping you create the life that you want. Cause it is still like, you don't just, sometimes people are handed things, but at the same time you're like presented with opportunities. Yeah. And if you, you know, take, an opportunity it's work to have to keep a hold of it and to mm-hmm. run with it and such and especially with like raising a child like you were saying like how do you learn from your past and like deconstruct what is no longer serving you that maybe your parents or further generations have passed on mm-hmm. and how do you like pass it on to your child in a positive way where yeah. it's like yeah the whole everything with that. (laughs) And I think part of what's always fascinated me um, is how culture is transmitted from generation to generation. For some reason, Uh I mean, I'm talking like in high school and like, well, why do I know this? Right? Where did this come from? Why do we go to church on Sundays, for instance? And I was that kid who was like asking those questions and trying to figure it out. And I... It, I want her to be able to like ask those questions too. Mm-hmm. I remember my family getting very defensive of like, well, we just do it this way. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I want to be secure enough in my choices that I don't get defensive when she comes and asks me those questions. She might not ever ask me, right. She might just be like, yo, this is cool. Like, and just roll with it. Um, but I also want to, give her space to make different choices if she so wants, right? And so... You know what's interesting about that, too, is I often think as each generation has kind of deconstructed something from the previous generation. Mm -hmm. Because, like, our parents are not their parents, and they do things that their parents probably would think are, like, you rebellious little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're doing things that probably our parents think are, like, you rebellious little thing, you know? And so I am just curious with every generation, you know, what is that, Mm. like, change in society, those views and beliefs, and, you know, what subconsciously are we passing on that they'll view, like, as they're so old-timey, you Mm -hmm. know, or something like that. So much of gender ideals, um, racial ideals, what we think of who should have access to what mm-hmm. are based off of, well, we've just always done it this way, you know? Right. And if we're not listening to what people want and what people are, how people are trying to make sense of, of like, well, that no longer, as you said, serves me or just doesn't make any sense or I just don't want to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
then we're not really making any progress or change. And we can all look around and be like, well, I just don't understand why, you know, this is happening and why the, you know, but it's like, if you really look at it, it's like, no, there's a reason. And we have to find out what that reason is and then do what we need to do in order to disrupt it. Right. Um, it is that question of like, what do you do with injustice and what do you do with, um, discontent and all these things? It's like, well, just throwing your hands in the air and saying like, well, it's just that way is really not an answer, especially not for the person who's being victimized and hurt by the thing that is what you're not willing to even take the time to examine. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I, I, I think so much of like anti-racism specifically is like, well, I just, it's so uncomfortable to even ask those questions, but it's like, well, yeah, think about how, uncomfortable it is for the person who doesn't have the opportunity to ask those questions. It just was handed to them of like, this is where you live, how you live. And this is your day-to-day interaction with the police. Like why is, why is your discomfort more important than theirs? Right. And I think that's how we have to really think about and examine the privileges that we have. Right. Like, why is it okay for me to be comfortable when someone at the expense of someone else's discomfort, right? Like, like that, that ain't it. That, that we need, to, we can do better than that. Especially it's freaking 2023 y'all. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, Oh my God. And this idea that like no one should ever be uncomfortable is complete ridiculousness. Like, come on. Like, Cause there's no growth in a comfort zone. Come on. <laughs> we know that, you know? I mean, it's cliche to say, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you can be content and happy with what you have and like where you are in life and just be grateful for the moment that you have. But at the same time, it's like, you can always have a desire to change and desire to grow from that and that also requires uncomfortable conversations sometimes yeah you know and to unpack things that you may not want to necessarily unpack all the time because of the you know feelings behind it and granted i think people need to be kind to themselves especially if whatever they're questioning or having issue with takes time to work through and 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 such but you know I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot around that. There's like, we can have a whole there's so much. Yeah. I think one of the things that I would like to like land on is and this again, going back to work, but like we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And we say that in that order, but really honestly, belonging should come first mm. because, and, and this is like a theoretical thing, but for a long time we thought if we just bring in more black and brown people, more people like that, our non-traditional employees, whatever that looks like for that, what industry it is, then we'll be able to make them included. Then we will be able to build equity and then they will feel like they belong. And it really doesn't Mm, go that way. It really goes belonging first. Honestly, people need to feel like they belong in this space. Right. And then that attracts the inclusion and then that attracts the equity and then that attracts the diversity. Like it kind of goes in opposite order. Mm. Um, because if you're not creating safe space for people, there's no incentive for them to learn and grow and do better. And if you're having a space where the people who are already there are uncomfortable having hard conversations with the people who are already there, why would I, as a black woman, want to come work there? 
y'all people ain't comfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable and uncomfortable on top of the comfort that you already do not have. Right. So I think when we, we have to like really work on our emotional intelligence to be able to like say hard things to each other in a loving and caring way. I should, as your friend, be able to say, you know what? Like, I'm not feeling that. That kind of hurt my feelings or that hurt my feelings Mm -hmm. and not be like, oh my God, like I would never, don't get defensive, yo. Like, just listen to what I just said. Like, and just be like, you know what? Like for the sake of our relationship, I'm telling you this because I want to continue to be in relationship with you. I want to continue to belong here. Like that is the whole Right, and like it seems really simple <laughs> when I say it like that, but it's not. So. You would think, you would think, and I think along that too, I I should have the emotional intelligence if, if I value our relationship. Like I remember this one um, DEI class that my company at the time that I was working for had. They were walking through like these two simple steps of having uncomfortable conversations, and it's like a Do you feel safe? And if you do then, like, B, is this relationship worth, like, salvaging, you know? Mm. So it's like, do I feel comfortable having this conversation with this person right now, and is this a relationship that I want to work through? And so if you have the emotional intelligence to say, like, yes to both of those questions, and you're coming with, like, good intentions to, like, say, hey, this actually hurt my feelings, hopefully the other person, Mm -hmm. or, like, me for this example, should have, like, that same emotional intelligence of just, like, they're not coming for me in the way that like maybe somebody who doesn't have that emotional intelligence would have of like they're questioning mm-hmm. my character or like you know my ability to be a good friend or anything like that it's like no they're just addressing something that they are feeling a certain type of mm-hmm. way and they want to work through that and like explain their feelings and also see like where there can be growth together and such so I wholeheartedly agree girl I feel like that's therapy though I feel like we probably need to go to have therapy to let's like hear it for the therapy to build up that level of emotional intelligence yes let's hear it for the therapist man oh my god like <laughs> snaps snaps for the therapist man they out here doing God's work for real for real most therapists <laughs> facts <laughs> Let's clarify. There be some there's therapy. Some, there's some ther- I've had some trash therapy in my life. Trust me. Like, like I'm sorry. I won't be coming back here. <laughs> I legit said that to somebody. Oh, my God. I did. I was like, she said something about um, the reason why there's an influx of, like, black gay men. And so, I don't know. I zoned her out after that. I was like, I won't be coming back here. You are not for me. Oh Thank my you God. for that. But, um, yeah, here's my insurance card and I won't be coming back. And check, please. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's and not going to work out. It's not, gonna it's, not gonna, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> Golly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up this episode. And I just want to say thank you, Kaz, for being vulnerable with me and sharing, oh. like, things that are important to you. And especially that's in a place so where it's going to be published. I mean, that's one thing I'm trying to get over, like being vulnerable knowing that someone's going to listen to this and so thank you for sharing your yeah absolutely I, it's a pleasure i feel like we got to know each other a little bit differently we haven't ever done like a recap like like a recap of our relationship that's yeah. so i you know what let's do that with all our friends yes yeah, so, oh my goodness <laughs> how did i meet you not in like a facebook thread but like let's just do it like <laughs> Yeah, I love that. It was, this is fun. Oh, we need to do, like, where you can find me. Yeah, where can we find you? Um, Listen, your girl's trying to get to 10,000 followers on LinkedIn, so holler at me. Um, Cass Cooper on LinkedIn. Um, I'm also on uh, TikTok as just, ca- just underscore Cass 2.0. 
Um, yeah, those are the best places to find me. And so. it's really funny on her TikTok, we're doing a, a series of going through my grinder profiles. Which are... is everything. <laughs> it's so everything. It's so crazy because it's like kind of unhinged in a way where we're like, I don't know, but like. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the thing. Listen, we didn't talk about this, but I was married for 10 years, so I don't know. I don't know what it's like out there. Uh, I mean, oh, anyway, that's a whole nother <laughs> episode. Whole other episode. We're going to get into that. But yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks, Queerly Overthinking is produced by Adam Harper and Cass McMahon Cooper. It is edited by Adam Harper with audio mixing by Necessary Outlet Productions. You can follow Queerly Overthinking on Instagram at Queerly Overthinking and find more at www.queerlyoverthinking.com.